Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I forgot to mention to you when I was up here earlier today that when I got here this morning, something a little unusual, and that's that Scott Pelletier was not here. And look around, and Alicia Pelletier was not here. And then actually she finally, she confirmed to us and said we could tell you, yes, this Alicia is in the hospital in labor, as far as I know. So uh, we should get some exciting news at some point here. Um, unless she's already had it, then we don't know. So by the way, she's having a baby, okay? <laughs> so we reach this point in the service, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to think, okay, well, we've, been, we've done our part, our participating part. Now we're going to sit down and, and be on the receiving end. And uh, there's some truth to that, but I, what I really want to encourage you to do whenever we reach this point in the service is not to stop participating, but to keep participating, actively engage in your heart and mind with what God is saying what you're seeing in the Word, with what you're hearing. Have a conversation with God about it, maybe as you go along. Uh, but stay actively engaged, because anytime we open up the Word of God, the Lord will speak uh, to us if we open up our hearts and minds to Him. So, uh, <clears throat> we've uh, started this sermon series last week, Upside Down, When God Becomes a Man, and, and, and we made note of the fact that, that all across the world, different religions, that humankind's tendency is to try to make it up to, to God, right? To become good enough to reach God or to know enough to reach God or live a certain way to reach God or certain religious practices to reach up to God somehow. But God knew that, that we would never be capable of doing that and that isn't the way it, he set it up. Instead, he turned everything upside down and he came into our world. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas here. So last week we talked about the claims of Christmas and, and it became very clear as we went through John chapter 1 that Jesus is what? God. Jesus is God. He was the Son of God, preexistent in heaven for all eternity with the Father and the Spirit. But so when he became a man, he's God, still God. He's a human being, but still God. Jesus is God. And that he came to provide us a way to have our broken relationship with God restored. You know, by coming to die and pay the penalty for our sins and, and rising again that we might have life in him. And then we, we noted very clearly that Jesus is the only way to have that broken relationship restored. There is no other way to do that. <clears throat> well, today we want to talk about the supernatural power of Christmas because there's lots of evidences in the Christmas story that would point to the supernatural nature of what's going on and to the power of God and his special abilities. And so we want to focus in on that. And as we do, I want to start off by um, thinking about watershed moments in our lives. You know, things that, that happen in our lives that if they had not happened, everything would be very different. You know, for me, uh, I, the first one obviously comes to mind is April 4th, 1975, when I, you know, surrendered the Lord and received Christ as Savior. That's a watershed moment. I, I can't even imagine what my life would be like. I know my tendencies, even as a follower of Christ, and I can't imagine what I would be like if I didn't have a relationship with Him. Watershed moment. Uh, I happen to remember this other date, April the 8th, 1978. 
I got down on my knees and asked my wife to, well, she wasn't my wife. I asked Glenda to marry me and become my wife. And, um, and she agreed to do that. And that's a watershed moment. I, and I can't imagine my life any other way. Of course, the birth of children, all of those kinds of things, right? Uh, you think it on a bigger scale, in, in, in our nation, uh, watershed uh, moments. There was a time in England uh, in the late 1500s, coming into the early 1600s, where there was, even though they were Christian, there wasn't really religious freedom for the real Bible-believing Christians, right? God-fearing Bible-believing Christians. And so they made a determination to pack up everything sell stuff and whatever and invest their whole lives and they moved. They got on a boat and came to North America. The pilgrims, right? Uh, and that changed not just our nation, but that, that really kind of changed the history of the world, right? There's a watershed moment there because of what our nation has become. Uh, the, the, when our, we actually became a nation, right, in 1776, wasn't it? And um, that's a watershed moment and how we were founded. Civil War was a you know, terrible thing, and I think probably in many ways the judgment of God we were experiencing. But nonetheless, the way that turned out, that was a watershed moment for what our nation would be and in, in our world. And um, So these watershed moments. But then I think of the history of the world. I, I think probably the, mo the biggest watershed moment has to be when God became a man. Now we could talk about the resurrection and that, I mean, that's essential, okay? But I'm talking about, but that's all part of God becoming a man. And that's what Christmas is really about, isn't it? That's the idea that we, God became a man. And so what we want to look at today is, is the, like I said, the supernatural things related to that. And so this being the watershed moment in the history of the world is, is about 4,000 years after creation. A little over two, well, yeah, a little over 2,000 years ago for us now. Um, the scriptures say this, that, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Goes on talks about born of a woman, born under the law, that he might save those who are under the law. But when the fullness of time had come, that means that there was a time that was just the right time. There, and we're going to see that God had given prophecies, too, that brought it all down to this point in the history of the world. The fullness of time had come. Jesus had to be born at this time to accomplish God's plans and purposes. Now, we can establish this. We go back to the book of Daniel. You may be familiar with this, but in Daniel chapter 9, uh, the Lord has given Daniel an amazing prophecy that he shares with us. And his prophecy is this, that it's going to be 483 years until the Messiah comes. He actually wrote this probably over 500 years before the Messiah came. By the way, let's put, when we talk about these years, 500 years, Daniel writes this before the time of Christ. Let's put that in perspective. Our, our, our country's been a nation for how long? Not quite 250 years. Okay? So this is twice that long. I mean, we're talking long periods of time. Over 500 years before Christ comes into the world, Daniel is given this prophecy that he, that he records. And that there was going to be 483 years until the Messiah came and accomplished what he was going to accomplish at his first coming. And we, he, he sets it up on a date. He said, there's a, a, when this king, when the king issues this decree, 
to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, that the, time, the clock starts then, starts ticking. Okay, 483 years until the Messiah comes and, and accomplishes what he's doing. We know the date of that decree in history. That date of that decree was March 14th, 445 B.C., Okay, and if you calculate all those days, and by the way, say prophetic years, a prophetic year has 360 days, and it don't ask me why, it just does. Okay, in scripture, when it talks about years, they're talking about prophecy is 360 days, and so if you do 483 times 60, uh, uh, times 360, and you figure in all the leap years, and the, the fact that from one BC to one AD, there's no zero AD year, I mean, all that kind of stuff, it comes out to exactly April 6, 32 AD, which was the first Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, presenting himself as the Messiah, just as Daniel would say. And then Daniel said, and then he will be cut off, he will be killed, but not for himself. Isn't that true? Did Jesus die for himself? No, he died for me and for you. So, exactly 483 years of 360 you know, days to the day I would say that if the prophecy was only to the generation, that would have been pretty good, wouldn't it? 500 years before saying this particular generation, he predicts it to the day. So he isn't talking about Jesus' birth there, but Jesus had to be born, didn't he? To be there in this generation, okay? So think about this. Over 500 years before, God reveals to Daniel when Jesus is coming when the Son of God is coming. Is that a pretty amazing thing? Does God know what's gonna happen? Does he know what's gonna happen in your life? Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a little while. Um, all right, so this is a very much a supernatural thing. Nobody is able to make a prophecy like Daniel except God revealed it to him. Um, then uh, Joseph, found himself in a pickle. That's a theological word, pickle. <laughs> so Joseph found himself in a pickle because he was, in our terminology, we'd say engaged. It's actually a little stronger than that. But he was engaged to marry, and then while he was still engaged, all of a sudden she's expecting a child. And we know that story, and we'll look at it in a little bit, that she's expecting a child because the Holy Spirit is miraculously causing her to conceive. Uh, but Joseph doesn't know that, and he says, oh man, you know, what am I going to do? And he makes a decision, I'm not going to try to shame her, I'm just going to you know, break this off quietly and, and not make a big deal out of it. And he goes to bed one night, and then an angel shows up in his dream and begins talking to him and tells him, you don't have to be afraid. Look, this baby that Mary's having has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a work of God. She's going to bear the Messiah. Trust me, you can you know, just marry her and... and um, Trust me. And Joseph does that. Okay? Uh, but then it says this, right after that story, in Matthew chapter 1, starting verse 22, it says, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Remember last week, and the word became flesh. God with us. But I want you to see that Isaiah, this, this is from Isaiah the prophet, 800 years before the time of Christ, he prophesies this. And, and then the scriptures tell us, okay, all this happened to do what? 
to fulfill what God has already said. This is a way for you to know this is God's doing. But to fill. So 800 years before, God reveals this. This is a supernatural thing, isn't it? That we can open up our Bible and see that 800 years before the time of Christ, they're revealing. I mean, I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen next week. I got a pretty good idea because Christmas is coming. But I'd still be wrong about things. But it's 800 years before. So very much supernatural things going on in the birth of Christ. All of these things coming together exactly the way the Lord had foretold. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Page 1179 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. (coughs) Excuse me. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, why would they want to register everybody? To collect taxes, that's exactly right, right? Because now we know where you are, we know who you are, we collect taxes. In fact, the, the King James Version, the old King James says that they all went to their own city to be what? To be taxed, okay? Verse 2, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Okay, so you read the story, it's just, oh, well, they had to go. It seems happenstance, doesn't it? It just happened, he happens to be from Bethlehem. But boy, is there a whole lot more to it than that. Um, when the wise men show up, and we'll read a little bit of this story later, but when the wise men show up in Jerusalem saying, hey, we've seen the star, where's this king, you know, that's been born, and, and Herod's, of course, all bothered by that, but he asks the scribes, he says, okay, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they come back to him with a passage of scripture that had been written 700 years earlier by the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter five, verse two, it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, And by the way, there's more than one Bethlehem in Israel. You know how there's more than one Springfield in the United States? Right, they're everywhere. But there was more than one Bethlehem. Uh, And we noticed that this summer when we were there that there's sometimes some towns that have a similar name, but it's not the same as you read in the Bible. But he specifies which one. And this is the one that's just about five miles from uh, Jerusalem. This specific Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, he says the ruler of Israel to be the what? The king, the Messiah, the promised one, okay? He, he's going to come from where? From Bethlehem. Now, this is a side note here, and it's a pretty big side note. How is he described? Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Who alone is from everlasting? God, right? And so this one who was going to come would be God in human form. It's right there. Don't you wonder sometimes why the the religious Jewish people who believe the Bible, why they didn't 
see this and respond sooner and more clearly? By the way, to me, when I see those things, I always need to realize that, wow, what am I missing? Maybe I'm missing something. I always got to stay open to that, and we have to be humble like that. But I want you to see is that Jesus could not have been born anywhere else besides Bethlehem and these scriptures be fulfilled. And if he had not been, I mean, so God had to work all of history together and to bring this registration and this census to pass so that Joseph would take his wife Mary to Bethlehem. This is a supernatural thing, isn't it? This is not an accident. By the way, we tend to think in our own lives that so many things happen, just happen. And, and, and in some sense, they do. But does God know what's going to happen in our lives? Does he know what is going to come into our lives? Does he know what people are going to do? Does he know what's going to happen in the world? He knows all of that stuff, and he works it all together for his good in our lives. So supernatural power. God knows. He knows before things come to pass. He Knows. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. It's the story of the wise men. Page 1112 in the Bible there, in the chairs. Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And, and from the east, we don't know for sure where they are. They could have been down, way down Saudi Arabia, uh, even Ethiopia. It could have been on out towards uh, India, Iran, Iraq. We don't know. But wise men from the east, okay? And they came, verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Whoa, so what's going on here? See, we kind of take this for granted. We, we know about the star and all that, but they didn't know about the star. And yet somehow these, these men who were, were uh, students of all sorts of, of writings, somehow they had come into possession of writings of a Jewish of people, the Hebrew, the scriptures, okay? There's a man named Balaam in the Old Testament. We see him in the book of Numbers. This occurs about 1,400 years before the time of Christ, just about, okay? And Balaam, it's an interesting man because he, sometimes he speaks for the Lord and you know, people come and ask for guidance about what God's will for things is, but man, he got corrupted here. He was trying to make some money off of uh, pronouncing a curse on the Israelites. Okay? He was planning to do that, and God said, no, you don't get to do that. You can only say what I let you say. And like three different times, he tried to curse the Israelites, and every time he started talking, it, God controlled what he said, and he blessed them. <laughs> you know, it's uh, frustrating. Anyway, but at that time, God spoke a prophecy through Balaam. And we find it in Numbers 24. Balaam said this, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, re referencing the Jewish people. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. Who has a scepter? The king, the ruler, the one we read about in Micah. My, the, he will be the ruler of my people. 
And so they had this scripture, apparently, because they had noticed this a star. Wait, there's a star that's not been there before. It wasn't there last year or the year before. This is a new star. We've never seen this star. And it is over where the Jewish people are in the land of Israel. And they made the connection that a star had risen out of Jacob and it had to do with the scepter that was coming, a king who was coming. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And so they show up, where is he? Come to see him. Um, so this is 1,400 years before the birth of Christ that this prophecy is given. Does God know? Does he know things we don't know? He knows things ahead of time. He knows. His, his knowledge is unlimited. It's a supernatural kind of thing. All right, let's, let's uh, shift gears here a little bit. We've seen prophecies. We could look at a few more prophecies, but we'll stop on the, the prophecies there. And let's just look at some of the things that were more or less miraculous in nature. So let's continue here in Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at, talk about this star a little bit. Verse 9. It says, when they heard the king, the king came back and said, Bethlehem. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east, while they were in the east, the star that they had seen, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, this is a different kind of star, isn't it? I mean, one thing, if you're in the east, you know, a thousand miles away, and you're seeing this this star, you know, come up and show up in the sky. But now they're here, and this star in close proximity is what? Moving. <laughs> this is not a normal star. If it was a normal star, it would be uh, how many light years away, right? Light years away. And that star, light years away, can move a long ways, and it wouldn't look like it hardly moved at all, right? But this star is moving. So we don't really know how this works, but it is a miraculous thing of God. I, I kind of uh, chuckled about this this week because I was thinking when my kids were young and, and you know, we're all out in the van and driving somewhere, and then uh, if we saw a searchlight, you ever seen searchlights in the sky? We'd say, oh, let's go find it. Let's go find it. And we start driving and trying, you know, can you see it still? And where is it? You know, where do we need to turn? And that was always a lot of fun, trying to find the searchlight. Of course, it's exactly what they wanted you to do, right? Um, this is a reverse searchlight, isn't it? It's the light from heaven shining down. And of course, the wise men followed it there. But a very miraculous thing. This is not any normal star. And only God could do this. Only God could do this. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Talk about the virgin birth. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. The angel has showed up, told Mary, you're going to have a, have a baby. It's going to be the Messiah. Uh, you name him Jesus. Uh, God's going to do a great work in his life through him. And you get to be the mom. So verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Well, that's a logical question, isn't it? Okay, you say I'm going to have this baby and it's going to you know, be somehow rather it's like God. He's going to rule forever and all these things. Okay, I, I, I believe in all that. I just got, I, I got a question. I don't understand something. How can this be because I've never been with a man? 
Um, let me say this to you, that it's okay to ask God questions. When you don't understand something, it's okay to ask God questions. Now he gives her a fairly straightforward answer. Here's, we don't always get those straightforward answers, but God is not bothered when we ask questions, okay? It's, it's fair to ask him. Ask him, surrender to him, but ask him. So she says, how can this be? In verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come and cause you miraculously to conceive. Now, in our physical world, if there's one thing we know about this, is that no man could ever have a baby on his own, could he? And no woman can have a baby on her own. You may say, oh, well, now we got this in vitro and all this. Well, that's still man, that's still pulling the two things together that need to come together, right? And so this had to be a miracle. It's a huge miracle. And this wasn't like this was a normal thing. Mary didn't say, oh, yeah, I've heard of this before. <laughs> I have some friends who got pregnant this way. I mean, it's not a normal thing at all. This is a miracle, miracle, miracle. Something that only God could do. Um, so God is powerful, isn't he? And I want you to, to see something here. It's a, a theme we're going to pick up on and focus on in just a minute. But let's jump to verse 37. See what the angel says to Mary. He says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, some things might be impossible. No, what? For with God, nothing will be impossible. God can do anything he chooses to do. Anything he desires to do, determines needs to be done, he can do it, absolutely. And the virgin birth is a demonstration of his power, of his ability to do these things. Okay, let's go to chapter two now, here in Luke, page 1179. Start in verse eight. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I bet. Have you guys ever gone camping out in the middle of the skies? You know, there's the stars, and it's so dark, isn't it, when you get out away from... And then all of a sudden to have this angelic being step into the world and the glory of God shines. This is a supernatural event. This is not a natural thing. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and there's the, that's really the key, what's going on here. And it says, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. That's a little unusual. Not so much the swaddling clothes, but the lying in a manger. That was unusual. So here the angel is foretelling something in the very near future that they will see. In verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel 
a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And then, boom, they're gone. They're gone, and the shepherds are like, uh, did you see that too? <laughs> I mean, if one was overwhelming enough to make you afraid, what if all of a sudden the whole sky is full? Wouldn't that be something to see? The glory of God, and I kind of envision like this, is that in, there's a spiritual world around us that our eyes cannot see. We see this in the Old Testament because there's Elisha and his, his servant, I think, or Elijah and his servant, Elisha, I believe. Anyway, he, he asked God to open his servant's eyes to see this. Remember, he sees these fiery chariots and the angels and, and uh, so he could see it. But normally we can't see it. It's like there's this curtain drawn and we can't see on the other side of the curtain. And so the angels, we could say, are on the other side of the curtain. And every now and then, God has a purpose for them to do this, and they do what? They step through the curtain into our world. And we see the supernatural. Now, I kind of envision like this, when we have the one angel talking, and then all of a sudden, they're all there. We have done, uh, I, I mean, over the years, I've done many, many musical presentations regarding Christmas. We've done one with children, where all the children were little angels and who were part of this whole thing, and, and I'm working with them, and I just can envision this, that here's the curtain drawn, right? How it's drawn, and, and um, this first angel steps out to talk, and all the rest of them are there waiting to go. And they push and shove, wait, wait, don't put, because you know, is the way the little kids were, I remember, you know, push, they're trying to put, and all of a sudden it's time to go, and what do they do? Boom, all they all come out, and you know, there they are, and there's this, but it's just this whole supernatural, glory of God kind of thing, revealing the power of God. I mean, he can, angels in and out of creation. I mean, he just, he, are, you, are you getting it? You know what I'm trying to say? There's a whole supernatural dynamic to what was going on uh, that's really, really important. And so what is it that we need to understand from all of this? you know, the fulfilled prophecies and the miraculous events around the story. And of course, we could go on with the life of Christ and what? You know, more and more. But here's what I really want us to focus in on today. And Luke quotes Jesus later in his gospel. And it's very similar to what the angel told Mary. But he says it like this. Luke 18, what is impossible for people is possible with God. What's impossible for people is possible with God. Is there anything in your life that you look at now, your life or people you love, and you look at it and you think, man, I just don't see any way it's possible for this to get it fixed. I don't see any way possible that there's a solution for this. Is there anything in your life like that? Maybe there has been in the past, there probably will be again in the future. What's impossible for you is possible with God. He can do whatever he needs to have done. So let's bring this together from last week to now. Jesus is God, okay? Jesus is God. And what we've seen today is that he knows and that he can and that he will. Let's talk about this. He knows you intimately. 
He knows what you think. He knows what you feel. He knows what your plans are. He knows what has happened in your life. He knows all the circumstances surrounding you. He knows everything that's coming your way. He knows all of these things perfectly. He knows the things that you think you know, but you're wrong about. He knows the things that you aren't even aware of about yourself. He knows those things. He knows, that you, he knows all of this. By the way, is it good to know somebody who knows us that way? By the way, who also loves us and accepts us and sent his son to die for us. But he knows, so be encouraged by that. But it's more than that. Not only does he know, he can. He can do whatever needs to be done in your life. If you, you, your heart's desire, God, I want to do what's right. I want to glorify you. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. It is not possible. I don't see any possible way. Well, what's impossible for you is not impossible for God. He can do what needs to be done. He can work in your life. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and walking in a relationship with the Lord and being serious about that, you've probably discovered with me that what I think needs to happen that God often knows better. Have you ever noticed that? I'm convinced, oh, this is what needs to happen, and I don't see any way for it to happen. Well, God can do it. Oh, he can do it, great, but God's saying, you know what, that's not the best thing. That isn't the way this really needs to go. Just trust me, and I will do it. So he knows what needs to happen. He, he can do whatever needs to be done to bring that about, and he will. Do it. You know, God always works in our life whether we cooperate with him or not. But what we experience when we cooperate is a whole lot different than what we experience when we don't. And so let me encourage you, knowing these things, that Jesus knows he can and he will, that you need to surrender to him. Surrender. Not my will, Father, but yours. You do what needs to be done. Um, so what are you facing in your life? Is, is there something in your life that you're saying, wow, I just don't see any way, I don't see any solution here. Maybe it's a, a, a child, a son or a daughter, and you're saying, how in the world? You know, God, would you do a work here? He knows, and he can do, and he will. He will work. Um, maybe it's in your own marriage. Uh, that you're looking at it and saying, you know what, nobody else around us knows, but let me tell you, it's not in a good place and I don't see any possible way. Um, God knows. He knows and he can do what needs to be done. He will work. And just let me say to you, though, that sometimes in our lives, the other people that are a part of these things don't choose to follow the Lord. A child may not choose to follow the Lord. A parent may not choose to follow. Uh, a husband or wife may not choose to follow the Lord. And they may go and do their own thing and walk away. That doesn't mean God has failed. What I want to tell you is God knows about this. And he can work in your life and still make your life whole and meaningful and significant. That you don't have to be owned by somebody else's sinful choice. Okay, he can work in your life and will. 
And in the first service, and maybe somebody here needs to hear this, but I can tell you, first service, I hadn't thought of this, hadn't planned, but all of a sudden it hit me and overwhelmed me, and I talked to the people who were here, and we talked to the folks online. Because you know what happens to people? They look at the circumstances in their life. Maybe it's about themselves and their own struggles, or the out here, and they look at it and say, this is not possible, and they lose hope, and then they take their own lives. What a sad thing. But if you have any feelings that way, and it's not unusual, sometimes people do, let me say to you that God knows and he can do in your life what needs to be done and he, he will, there's reason to have hope here. It may be that you have problems in your own life, your own character, character flaws, something you just feel like, I can't ever defeat this, this sinful habit or just this habit or whatever, and, but listen, God will work in your life and he can do what needs to be done. And it may not even be negative. It may be that there's something in your heart and mind, a good thing that you say, oh man, I, I just so want to do this. I want to serve the Lord in this way. This opportunity is here, but I just don't see any way it can happen. I don't have the finances. I don't have the opportunities. I don't, but this is what God sees like God put in my heart. God knows all the limitations and he can do what needs to be done and he'll work. He will work to get you where he wants you to be. But our part is always to surrender, to say, yes, Lord, whatever this means, I'll walk with you. To me, this is such an encouraging message from the word that God knows and he can do and that he will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do tell us these things. Thank you that you know everything about our lives and our own thoughts and you know our hearts better than we do. And you know everything. Nothing catches you by surprise. And so many things do catch us by surprise. You can do, Father, whatever needs to be done in our lives. And, and I'm so grateful that you know best what that is. You know so much better than me what needs to happen in my life and for all of us that way, Lord. But you can do it. Nothing is too hard for you. What's impossible for us is not impossible to you. And I thank you especially, Father, that you will do these things. And I pray that we would choose to surrender to you in it and, and go with you however you lead us and whatever you take us through and whatever you allow us to go through, that we will walk with you through it that you might work in our lives that way instead of having to work in our lives as we don't cooperate. So I pray, Father, we would be encouraged and yield ourselves anew to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you, thank you. We will see you on Christmas Eve.